welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations and book recommendation episodes, as well as insider information on all of the newest releases that I personally endorse and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations or to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. Have you read a book recently that really resonated with you and makes you want to read a book more like it? If so, submit a read-alike request to me through my Google form located in today's show notes and tell me why you loved it, and I will suggest some similar reads on a future Tuesday episode. If you are interested in reading some great books before they publish, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon group to access additional content including early reads and prepub author chats and bonus episodes. I just added Banyan Moon by Tao Tai for May and The Bones of the Story by Carol Goodman for June. The link to join is in the show notes. Today I am chatting with Mary Weber O'Malley and Pamela Klingerhorn about their recommended reads for spring 2023. Mary is the free-range virtual bookseller at large for Skylark Bookshop, an author liaison and scheduling producer for A Mighty Blaze. She is also a writer, grandmother, and chicken wrangler. She lives outside of Chicago with her husband and a menagerie of pets. Pamela has been a literary event planner since 2012. She enjoys attending and promoting literary events throughout the Twin Cities and beyond and has been nicknamed the local literary fairy godmother. She is currently the literary event coordinator at Valley Bookseller in Stillwater, Minnesota, and the creator and host of the monthly literary program, Literature Lovers Night Out. I hope you enjoy our conversation and add many books to your TBR. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it, because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy this podcast, I have another podcast that you will enjoy as well. A Bookish Home takes you behind the book with best-selling authors. Add to your TBR list while getting the inside scoop on the winding road to publication. Laura Zaro-Kopinski is a librarian, mom, writer, and lifelong bookworm who is striving to create a culture of reading wherever she goes. She interviews a different author each week, and her episodes drop on Wednesdays. This spring, her podcast features Eleanor Shearer, author of River Sing Me Home, Maggie Smith, author of the memoir You Could Make This Place Beautiful, and Julia Kelly, author of The Lost Girl, as well as several other fabulous authors. Her show can be found on all major platforms, and I hope you will tune in. Welcome, Pamela and Mary. I am so glad you're back with me. It's been a minute. Thank you for having us back. This is so exciting. We always enjoy our time with you. I can't believe it's been this long since we've been on to talk books, which I think has led to my having quite a stack. Well, I love that. Yes, time got away from me. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, we haven't talked in so long. So I'm thrilled you're here and I can't wait to dive into your list. But before we do that, I always love to talk a little bit about your reading lives because you're both such avid readers and I love to learn more about that. So one thing I have noticed, because I follow you both on a variety of social medias, is that you interact a lot with authors in person and a variety of ways. How do you feel that enhances your reading life? 
I absolutely, I had no idea how much it would enrich my reading life to meet authors until, until I started meeting them regularly. I find that when I've met the person who wrote the book, my reading experience is just enriched so greatly by the fact that I now know a little bit about the person who put those words on the page. I agree with Mary. It really enriches the reading experience. So often I have either gone to a convention or an author event here in the Twin Cities where I was not familiar with the author or any of their past work and become so energized by meeting this writer that I can't wait to read their novel. I just had the fortune of good fortune of being at Winter Institute, the convention for booksellers this past winter and met so many new authors, some of whom you're going to hear about in today's talk. Again, the Twin Cities has a very rich cultural life and just a million authors running around here. So it's easy to meet and interact with them. And it's wonderful because both Mary and I have become friends with so many of these authors over the years. I was just in New York and had dinner with five of them that I've got to know well since we connected years ago on either events or social media. And it really does make a huge difference in reading to know the author and know a little bit about their background and some of their past work. I agree completely on that. And I have the literary salon and I have enjoyed meeting some of them that way or going to conferences like you were talking about. And that's one of the reasons I launched the podcast was because I feel like it can really enrich your reading experience if you listen to the author talk about a book before you read it. And it's also wonderful to do it afterwards. But since mine's spoiler free, I think it's a great way to be introduced to books you haven't heard about and learn more about them and realize, oh, that actually could be very interesting. Exactly. I was going to say that was one of the reasons that I actually began the Literature Lovers Night Out events, because I had the honor of meeting so many authors and hear about their work. And I wanted to bring that experience to people who were not booksellers, but also wanted to have an opportunity to meet and talk with authors and hear about new books. I agree. And I feel like it really does enrich your experience. And so several times lately, people have said to me, oh, I listened to your podcast after I've read the book. And I'm like, oh, you should listen to the ones you don't know or that you're not familiar with because it will probably introduce you to all sorts of books you weren't even aware would sound good or listen ahead of time because then as you're reading, you'll think about the different things that they said. So uh, obviously, it's wonderful that people listen at all. But I think, oh, I, I would listen ahead of time so I can learn more. I think that's exactly right. I have found, just as Pamela said, when you hear an author talk about their book and the heart and soul they put into it, not only am I excited to read that title, but it really, it changes the entire experience for me. So I think people should absolutely listen to the authors that they've not yet read because we never know what favorite book of ours is just waiting for us to discover it. And I find so many books from listening to Mary. I find so many books from the two of you all. It's wonderful. You're such resources. Happy to help. Okay, good. So today you have joined me so we could talk about the books that you all are recommending for spring because we hadn't done that yet. And you both have a wonderful list. So Mary, why don't you start with your first title? Absolutely. I am thrilled to talk about this March release from the blockbuster author, Lisa Scottolini. It is Loyalty. And it is an emotional, action-packed, historical epic of love and justice set during the rise of the mafia in Sicily. It 
centers around Franco, who is a handsome lemon grower who has toiled for years on an estate of a baron. And Franco dreams of owning his own lemon grove. But the rigid class system of Sicily thwarts his ambitions. He's determined to secure a prosperous future and will do anything to prove his loyalty to the baron. But the baron asks him to arrange the kidnapping of a little boy, at which point Franco just crosses a point of no return and sets in motion the making of the world's first mafia family. I found this novel immersive. I, I could just feel myself. I could smell the lemons and the lemon blossoms and feel the air. Oh my gosh. Lisa's writing is transformative. And I was just brought into this world of the beginnings of the mafia. And, you know, that's a story that I never really knew. I grew up hearing about the mob and the mafia. And, you know, here in Chicago, we certainly had some mob bosses and I found it all fascinating. So to go into those early days of here's kind of how it came about. I just, I loved it so much. People have been raving about that book. I wasn't sure I was going to be very interested in the mafia. So I had passed on it, but literally you're like the fifth person to tell me it is just phenomenal. So I'm going to clearly have to buy it and read it. Excellent. My job is done. Exactly. All right, Pamela, what's your first one? Well, I just want to first of all say that I'm so excited that Lisa Scottolini has moved into historical fiction because she is just killing it. It's amazing what her work is doing now. So I second Mary's nomination. (laughs) I am also going to start in March with a novel called Our Best Intentions by Vibhuti Jain. If you are a fan of Celeste Ng or Therese Ann Fowler, like I am, you should definitely add Our Best Intentions to your reading list. This one is a searing exploration of race and class. This is the debut novel, but this author can write like the most experienced writer you have ever seen. It is so gorgeous. It'll break your heart. Her character, Babur Singh, is known as Bobby, and he has a movie or an Uber business called Move with Bobby. And he's very aspirational about assimilating with America. And he has a young teenage daughter named Angie, who is a big time swimmer, and she's using the school pool. It's not exactly kosher during the summer vacation, but she's been able to get in there and practice. One day when she's walking home, she finds one of her classmates stabbed and bleeding on the football field. A young black girl who is a runaway and has been kind of living at the school is blamed for it. And of course, chaos ensues. The community is shocked. People are revealing different truths about themselves. Of course, there's a lot of gossip and going on. This fractures the whole town. The father, he's trying to shield his daughter, but at the same time, he's trying to assimilate with all of America's rules and laws and also taking on some of those prejudices that everyone has. This has multiple perspectives. It's a really suspenseful family drama about a father and daughter. Also, a really gripping page turner about an immigrant family in America and about the toxicity of privilege and racial bias. 
I think this is a book that needs to be on everybody's list. And certainly for book clubs, they're going to find so much discussion material. That, again, is Our Best Intentions. And it came out in March by Vibhuti Jain, J-A-I-N. I have that galley and it is on my list. And it's another one that people have been raving about. So clearly I need to bump it up. It is. It's, you know, got a quieter release, but I don't want people to miss this one because it's well worth it. Anytime Pamela endorses a book that strongly, it absolutely needs to be on people's lists. Oh, thank you, Mary. I agree. Okay, so Mary, what's up next for you? So my next title is from one of my favorite historical fiction novelists, Renee Rosen. It's Fifth Avenue Glamour Girl. Comes out, these next few titles are all April release. It is 1938, and a young woman selling face cream out of a New York City beauty parlor is determined to prove she can have it all. Her name is Estee Lauder, and she's about to take the world by storm. I love Renee's historical novels because they're so well-researched, and that only comes through as a richer level of storytelling. It doesn't come through as dry, factual. Renee uses her research to just fill out the characters and the storylines. And reading this book, I was taken back to my childhood days going into Macy's, uh, which was Marshall Fields when I was little, with my grandmother and walking into that that makeup department where you could smell the the perfumes and the glass countertops were pristine and you saw you know all the beautiful lipsticks and compacts you know fast forward into my my teens and my early 20s and my grandmother would always purchase you know around the holidays whatever Estee Lauder product was being offered and you'd get a free gift and it was usually a little makeup bag with, you know, an eyeshadow and a lipstick and a little perfume. So Renee's book just brought me into that world. But, you know, just like the the last book I talked about, The Rise of the Mafia, this was really the revolutionary changes that Estee brought into the world of makeup and how she went about doing that and her level of ambition in a, a time when women weren't supposed to be that devoted to a job or a calling, you know, they were supposed to be devoted to being a wife and a mother. So all of these things combine into making this just a fascinating read. And as we talked about how enriching meeting the authors is um, or hearing them talk, Renee is one of the most dynamic author event authors I know she always comes with a PowerPoint and the first time I watched her do this I thought oh this is going to be kind of dry it's going to be like a lecture no she knows how to give a presentation on her characters that absolutely enriches your reading experience uh she's just amazing she will be launching this book I think in two weeks and I think, so she, she launches the end of April and she's doing a couple of virtual events where she'll have her PowerPoint going. 
So if anybody is able to follow Renee on social media and maybe get a link to one of those events, or better yet, see her in person, I highly recommend it along with this book. I agree with Mary. I've had the pleasure of hosting Renee three times and she just sells like crazy as soon as people hear her presentation. She's wonderfully entertaining on stage, as are her novels. And the thing I really like about them is that she always creates a fictional character to come along and help tell the story of her real character. And she does a beautiful job, as Mary said. I was so glad that you included this one because I have that early reads program through my Patreon group. And she was one of our choices because I've interviewed her in the past and I knew how dynamic she was. So we read her book early and met with her and the group loved her. I mean, absolutely loved her, loved the book. Even people that were like, I'm not that interested in makeup. I didn't realize, you know, initially I was like, I'll read this book, but they all loved it and how much she revolutionized the cosmetics industry. It's just fascinating. And women in business in general. She was groundbreaking. Very true. So I definitely highly recommend that one for people, whether you're interested in cosmetics or not. It's really such a fascinating story. I'm going to take us into April now with the release of This House is on Fire by Rachel Beanland. She is the author of the earlier novel Florence Adler Swims Forever, which is another one I loved. This one takes us back to Richmond, Virginia in 1811 when the theater there caught fire. The Richmond Theater Fire was a huge disaster, and Rachel Beanland achieves the goal of all great historical fiction. She takes you to the time and place and immerses you in this scene. I mean, I smelled the smoke. I heard the characters raging around me. I felt the panic. It's just wonderful. It's told through four main perspectives, and they cover a variety of different socioeconomic areas in the city. And this is just such a phenomenal story. It reads like a thriller. The night after Christmas, the theater's packed with 600 some people and everyone is going to the theater to enjoy themselves. And then there's a horrible, horrible fire and the theater goes up in flames and people have to make split second decisions and some emerge as unlikely heroes. And of course, others take different paths that are not so heroic, but she explores the fire and the aftermath through four characters. And it's just so beautifully done and um, a real piece of history. It sent me down a rabbit hole wanting to do some more research about what actually happened at the Richmond Theater fire in 1811. And you cannot go wrong if you're looking for some good historical fiction. Again, it's called The House is on Fire by Rachel Beanland out this month. And this this, uh, episode actually has me seeing more titles that Pamela has that I haven't read than I think any time we've talked previously. So anytime Pamela is excited about a book, I know I need to add it to my list. And this is another one I'll be adding to mine. I felt the same about your list, Mary. Usually we're arm wrestling over so many titles that we've both read and want to talk about, but this time you had a lot of new ones for me as well. I loved The House is on Fire, and I've interviewed Rachel, and it was a very fascinating conversation, how she learned about it, how many people in Richmond aren't aware of the fire. But your point, Pamela, about how you were transported there, I mean, I could feel the people being trampled. I could feel the people being thrown out the windows down to the guy that's catching them below. I just felt like it was such an immersive read, and that cover is stunning. It is. It really is. So I definitely highly recommend that one as well. 
Okay, so my next one is another April title, and it is a memoir. This is a debut. It is called The Dead Are Gods by Irony Carson. And I picked this up out of my, you know, very, very tall TBR stack and just read a little bit on the back, and it pulled me into wanting to know more. The news comes in an early morning phone call. Irony Carson learns that her best friend Larissa is dead. Stunned, Irony attempts to make sense of the events leading up to Larissa's death and uncovers startling secrets about her friend in the process. They were both Black models. They lived together in London from their mid-teens until their mid-twenties. They shared their formative years navigating the predominantly white spaces of fashion, as well as London's rock and roll scene. As Irony puts it, Larissa held my hand through so much. She taught me about my Blackness and the space I should be taking up in this world. The loss of her was profound, devastating, and at times maddening. This is just a beautiful meditation on Irony moving through her life after the sudden loss, navigating moments of intense grief. She finds power in pulling moments of joy from the depths of her emotion and her portrayal of what love feels like after death. It just is, it was unique. It was so well-written and this author's pain and grief and joy come through the page so beautifully. I just, I wanted to know more and more about their friendship. It's a, a perfect book for anyone who enjoys a good memoir. Yes, um, coincidentally, although they say that there are no coincidences, I picked up this galley to read back in December, immediately after I had had one of my close friends from college die. And to read this book about someone else's grief experience over the death of a friend was particularly poignant for me and very comforting. I would definitely give it to anyone who has ever lost a friend or, or a close member of their family. And it's just, a beautiful portrait of friendship and grief. It is. I'm not familiar with this one, but it sounds like a great read. And as well, it's nice to know about those books to provide to people when they have had a loss, because sometimes you're at a loss for what to do. And to have a book like this that might help them through their grief at some point is very useful. I love that. Yes. Well, my next novel is another April book called The Night Flowers by Sarah Herchenrother. This is a stay-up-all-night kind of a mystery. Readers are going to really fall for this very smart librarian and a detective who team up to solve a cold case. Sarah Herchenrother can go to the top of the class with this one because it's a very sophisticated thriller that flirts with the supernatural and really delivers on the high-octane tension. This one is... It was really special. I don't normally go in for the magical realism kind of stuff, but this one really caught my imagination. Takes place in two timelines. A woman's body and two children are found, and it's a cold case. They've never been able to solve it. But 30 years later, this librarian begins investigating it kind of as a way to distract herself from the breast cancer treatment she's going through. And another female detective who works on cold cases is also interested in this case. So eventually they come together to help solve the mystery of this woman and these two children. 
But what makes this novel unique is that you also get the ghostly perspective of the woman and children and what's happening to them in this afterlife and how they feel about the fact that their own murder has never been solved. I thought it was something that I hadn't encountered in fiction before and just really an interesting perspective on a deep understanding of the psychology of violence and about people who are murdered themselves or who are dealing with a murder that has not has resolution. The Night Flowers, it's a debut thriller. Again, very sophisticated. I was most impressed. I thought this book was beyond brilliant. I raced through it. And I loved the fact that here you have a protagonist that is going through breast cancer. And the author was so real in the depiction of what it's like to be moving through that as as a woman who's also, you know, trying to get through their their days. Everything Pamela said, agree 110%, absolute must-read thriller. This is another one that I was thrilled to see on your list because I went to a book conference just last week and she was there and she presented this book and I got a copy of it. I can't remember if it's the final copy or the galley, but I have it. And it sounded so interesting. So then I was happy that it was on your list as a recommendation. I will definitely bump it up my list. But I thought it sounded really good. And it's another great cover. Lucky you to get to meet her. Yeah. Well, it's interesting after we were just talking about how much listening to an author enhances the reading experience. And I was thinking about that as you were talking because I wouldn't have known her. But also she talked a lot about having had breast cancer and the intersection of cancer and true crime and how there are some parallels. It was all really interesting. Fascinating. Well, my next book is another example of what we've been talking about, hearing an author talk about their work and how that enriches the experience of reading. I probably would not have picked up this next title, which is also an April release, had I not heard the author discuss it at last year's fall conference for me. And this is A Fever in the Heartland by Timothy Egan. And actually, let me correct that. I think we heard him speak at last year's spring conference. This book, so Timothy Egan is a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter and the author of nine other books. This is a book about the Ku Klux Klan in Indiana and the Heartland. And I thought it was going to be kind of a dry journalistic read. It is not. There is a reason this man has won the Pulitzer Prize. He takes the facts and puts them into a format. It reads like truth is stranger than fiction. It is a thriller. It is heart pounding. It is the true life historical thriller by by Timothy Egan. It's the riveting story of the Klan's rise to power in the 20s the cunning con man who drove its growth, and the woman who helped to stop it. This is about, uh, the man was D.C. Stevenson, and he was a magnetic presence whose life story changed every time he told it. Within two years of his arrival in Indiana, he'd become the grand dragon of the largest realm of the Klan the country had ever known. He had judges, prosecutors, ministers, mayors, governors, and senators all across the country proudly proclaiming their membership. But at the peak of his influence, his secret cruelties would be revealed 
when a woman, Madge Oberholzer, is attacked and gravely injured and her deathbed testimony comes back to shut the clan down. Absolutely riveting. It, it had a cinematic feel to it from the start to the finish. Uh, very visual, visual storytelling. And like I said, you know, it, it's truth is stranger than fiction that if somebody had, had written this story as a fictional novel, you would have thought it's just it's too big to even publish. There's you have too much going on. It's too far fetched. There's no way. And yet this is exactly how things happened. So for nonfiction readers, I very highly recommend this book, Fever in the Heartland by Timothy Egan. I've been seeing all sorts of accolades for this one, and I downloaded it on Libro FM so I could start listening to it. I wanted to ask you, Mary, did you read or listen to this? Because it's also on my list, but I was thinking of doing the audiobook. I read this book, but I can only imagine that to hear the audio, if the narrator is the right one, that it would be just incredible. Good to know. Well, I'm excited to listen to it now. It just sounds like a horrifying story. And as you said, one of those truth is stranger than fiction things. I'm going to stick with April for another release called If We're Being Honest by Kat Shook. This is something a little different because this is a big, fun family drama with lots of laughs about a family funeral, which you would not think would be so funny, except that in the hands of Kat Shook, it is hysterical. Grandpa Gear, the family patriarch, has passed on, but everybody in this messy big family has come together for the funeral, and they've asked his lifelong best friend to give the eulogy, only instead of paying tribute to his friend, he instead drops a bomb that they have been lifelong lovers. <laughs> this is not a spoiler because this all happens at the very beginning of the novel, and it just goes on from there. Everyone is shocked because both these men have had long, satisfying marriages with their families and been close friends with each other's families and extended members for a long time. And so everyone obviously reacts to this information in extremely different ways, from flat-out denial to trying to find out more about this. But all these relatives that are together for what is always a possibly fraught situation at a family funeral are now dealing with this incredible news about their beloved grandfather. And this is so wonderfully original. I could easily see it becoming a film. And it just goes to show that although, you know, family can break your heart and mess you up, there's really nobody who's there for you and can put you all back together again, like your own family can. And it's a love letter to families and, and the messy love that they provide. Lots of fun. It's called, again, If We're Being Honest by Kat Shook. I'm smiling just listening to you talk about it, Pamela, because I love this book also. And yes, it is a love letter to the messy dynamics of the family. And it was just so witty and well done. It's such an entertaining premise, and I've heard nothing but great things about it. I feel like there have been so many books coming out this spring. And as I listen to y'all talking, I'm like, oh, that one's on my list. That one's on my list. I'm going to have to just lock myself up somewhere and read, read, read. That's how I feel. I was gone for a while and my mother helpfully unpacked all my book mail when I was gone. And you can no longer see my dining room table. 
<laughs> sort of drowning here, <laughs> but it's a good way to drown. Exactly. It is definitely a good problem to have. But on the other hand, I'm like, oh gosh, there's so many things I still need to read. We really need a reading retreat without a doubt. And I'm going to, I have a, a couple more April releases. This next one is also a memoir, but nonfiction, but oh my gosh, it is a gentle and beautiful, absolutely stunning work. And it is, You Can Make This Place Beautiful by Maggie Smith. She is the poet. She wrote, oh, I think it was early in COVID. She put out a little book of inspirational meditations called Keep Moving. And this book kind of sprung from that. She was going through a divorce and, uh, you know, had to keep moving herself. And this collection, it is unlike anything else I've read. It's her memoir of, of that time going through the divorce, but it's partially in essays, partially in verse. Some chapters are just a sentence or two. Some are longer. It's so lovely the way and and just gentle. This would be a perfect gift book for anyone going through a tough time so that they can understand that they're not alone, that we can make it through these times of, of grieving a relationship and what we thought was going to be. It's You Can Make This Place Beautiful by Maggie Smith and would be a perfect Mother's Day gift, a perfect graduation gift, just because the the writing is so lyrical and lovely. I have not read this one, but I have read other books of hers. And this one is getting a lot of accolades and I'm happy to hear you're recommending it as well. It's been getting a lot of accolades and I've been seeing it all over Bookstagram, but I haven't read it either. So what's up next for you, Pamela? Well, I'm going to move into May with a novel called The Collected Regrets of Clover by Mickey Brammer. This one is an amazing story of a woman who is a death doula. Many of us have heard of birth doulas who help women through their childbirth, but a death doula helps patients who are dying to have a peaceful and less frightening death experience. And our main character here. Clover is very, very good at this. When she was only in kindergarten, her teacher died during a dramatic story reading of Peter Rabbit. And she sat there with her dead teacher and the body, and she's always just had this affinity for helping people have a peaceful end-of-life process. But now that this is her career, she spends so much time with the dying that she's kind of forgotten about living. And she comes home from these times that she spends with these people at the end of their lives and she's very isolated and you know she finally is forced to take a look at you know what's the point of helping people have a wonderful death if they've never had much of a life and through her blooming relationship with one of her patients and their extended family she finally examines what it is that she wants and how to help herself get into a real life where she's got relationships and possibly a happy ending of her own. So although it sounds like, you know, death might be kind of a dark and taboo subject, The Collected Regrets of Clover is not a book that you will ever regret reading. It's beautiful. It's fun. It's got wonderfully warm characters and it's not sad at all. It really talks about 
death in a way that makes you want to celebrate life. So I highly recommend this one. I have not read this one, but I don't know of one bookstagram, book influencer, bookseller friend who has not posted about it saying that it's a must read. So it's in that special pile for me to take on my next trip to make sure that I get that read. I was going to say the same thing that I've been seeing it everywhere and people have been raving about it. With good reason. Exactly. Well, my next title is yet another book that I had the wonderful fortune to meet the author. I just met the author in person last night at an event. Um, This is an April release. It is The Society of Shame by Jane Roper. And this is one of the most brilliantly funny, hilarious novels I have read in a long time. One of my favorite titles of spring. It is a perfectly flawed protagonist, a timely and witty combination of So You've Been Publicly Shamed and Where'd You Go, Bernadette? It's an astute satire of social media stardom and internet activism. It is a commentary on cancel culture, all wrapped up in a tender mother-daughter tale. It is Kathleen Held. Uh, Her life is turned upside down when she arrives, arrives home to find her house on fire and her husband on the front lawn in his underwear. But the scandal emerges is not that Bill, who's running for the U.S. Senate, is having a painfully cliched affair with one of his young staffers. It's that a photograph at the scene taken by a bystander accidentally captures a period stain on Kathleen's pants. This causes her to become the unwilling face of a new hashtag campaign, hashtag Yes We Bleed. This book is... I, when I saw the author, I said, I felt like she must have had people in a writing group just like egging her on, take it further, do more. The hashtags, the online commentary that she includes from trolls, and now you have this Yes, We Bleed campaign, and then you have a woman who's very upset and feels left out because she doesn't actually menstruate. And so you're you're neglecting this part of the population that doesn't have a period. I mean, it just takes it all over the top, but in this funny and heartfelt way with an underlying story that is so well done, this is just a triumph of a novel. I absolutely love it. It is The Society of Shame by Jane Roper. I just recently interviewed Jane. And she is so funny. And I was asking her the same thing. Okay, some of this stuff is just so hilariously over the top. And she said, I just kept going and everybody kept liking it. But yeah, that book is really, really funny. And it would make a great Mother's Day gift. If you have somebody that likes humor, you know, and just the whole Yes, We Bleed and the cancel culture, there's just so much in it. It's it's really a great book and it's different. It sounds great. It's a hoot. Well, I'm going to stick to May and delivered the Enchanted Hacienda by J.C. Cervantes. And this is a book that came to my attention because I was going to meet the author. Um, HarperCollins was hosting a group of us for dinner, and there were going to be 10 authors. And so I thought, I can't read all 10 books before the conference, so I'm going to dip in and read at least 50 pages of each book. 
Well, I read the first 50 pages of The Enchanted Hacienda, which I have to say is going to really appeal to people who love Alice Hoffman, Isabel Allende, Sarah Addison Allen, all that kind of fiction with a little magical twist. Well, I read the first 50 pages and I was so captured by her main character, Harlow Estrada, that I could not wait to read more. Harlow is fired from her dream job out of the blue. And she has to go with her boyfriend to a big celebration about his career that evening. And he is such a horrible jerk that you are hoping that something really awful happens to him. And Harlow ends up throwing a drink in his face. And you just want to cheer for this young woman because she is finally treating him the way he needs to be treated. And that just made me fall in love with this character. I thought she was wonderful. And she ends up seeking the shelter of her family down in Mexico where they own a flower business, but these are not just any flowers. These are charmed flowers. And these flowers are able to heal hearts and erase memories, interpret dreams, all kinds of magical things. And she gets down there with her family and she finds that they suddenly need her to take care of the farm on her own. And of course, all kinds of unexpected delights ensue. And she meets a young man And the whole thing, it's just this wonderful exploration of identity and family with this great spunky heroine. And what made it really near and dear to my heart were all the great female relationships in this book. So The Enchanted Hacienda is out in May, and that is by author J.C. Cervantes. And it's another one that I've not yet read, but is on my table. I've seen it everywhere. It's gotten rave reviews. And as I recall, it's got an eye-catching cover. It does have very beautiful cover art. And I have to say, it was absolute delight to meet the author. She is charming, beautiful, and obviously so talented. So I think this is a winner. Fantastic. I clearly need to add this one to my list. Yes. Okay, so my final April title is from a name you might find familiar. It's called This Bird Has Flown. And it is by Susanna Hoffs. Susanna Hoffs is the co-founder of The Bangles. And when I saw this book come across, honestly, I thought, oh, here we go. You know, somebody who's switching careers, they, you know, need to get their name out there. So now they're publishing a book. This is delightful. This Bird Has Flown is a beautiful, delightfully funny and romantic debut novel from the the lead singer of the Bengals. It is about Jane Start, who is 33, broke, and recently single. Ten years ago, she had a hit song written by the world-famous superstar Jonesy, but Jane hasn't had a breakout since. Now she's living out of four garbage bags at her parents' house, reduced to performing karaoke tracks in Las Vegas, rock bottom. But when her longtime manager Pippa sends her to London to regroup, She's seated next to an intriguing stranger on the plane. It goes from there. It just carried me along. It's sweet, charming, funny. This is the perfect palate cleanser for after you've read a dense and heavy, you know, maybe emotionally charged read. But it's not just a fluff book. There's some really great storytelling that goes along with it. I really enjoyed it. And I think readers will too. 
I thought that was so much fun that she was writing a book after being one of the co-founders of the Bangles. I have it, but I haven't gotten to it yet. And it's another one with a really fun cover. It is. I love the cover. Me too. It sounds like a lot of fun. And that was a title that was new to me. So thank you, Mary. I'm going to hop into June now and go for something completely different with The Puzzle Master by Danielle Tressoni. She is a well-known novelist, and she also had an absolutely knock-your-socks-off memoir. And The Puzzle Master is her latest that's coming in June, and I'm hoping that it will have at least a sequel, if not a series. If you like something like The Da Vinci Code that keeps you hopping with puzzles, this is the book for you. Um, She takes this action-adventure plot and wraps it up in literary fiction and then sprinkles it with just a little dash of mysticism that creates this novel, The Puzzle Master. And it sets your brain in high gear because you're just going to be working, trying to work out these puzzles, which I'm not particularly good at, but I found terribly fascinating. Mike Brink is her main character, and he is a puzzle constructor. But what makes Mike special is that when he was a football star, he had a traumatic brain injury that caused this extremely rare medical condition, but it is real. It's called acquired savant syndrome, and it left him with these mental superpowers, and he is phenomenal at solving and creating puzzles and calculating equations and seeing patterns in the world that ordinary people just don't see. So he ends up meeting this young woman called Jess Price, who is serving a prison sentence for murder, but she won't speak. And she finally draws this puzzle for her psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist calls Brink in to help solve the mystery of this puzzle and why this woman won't speak and what actually happened on the night that this murder took place. And so, of course, this all turns into this great big deal that is much larger than anyone ever anticipated. And it is so fascinating with a lot of religious mysticism, puzzles, like I said, if you like that. It is so fascinating and addictive. I was just reading it at breakneck speed because it was so much fun. I think you should start casting the movie as you're reading. And like I said, I really do hope we get to spend some more time with this character, Mike Brink. He's really fascinating. So if not a whole series, maybe at least a sequel. And that's called The Puzzle Master from Danielle Trasoni and comes out in June. Another title I haven't read, but also another title that I've seen posted in so many places. People are loving it. It is so much fun. And I think it's going to really have a lot of appeal to both men and women readers. I'm always looking for those types of titles because so much of what I read is really geared more toward women. But it's nice to you know be able to give people gift ideas or just to recommend books for men as well. And that copy just arrived here, and I had just seen several other people posting about it. So I'm glad to hear that you loved it as well, and I'm going to bump it up the list. Yeah, and it's great writing, too, because it's Danielle Trasoni. I've not read her before. Oh, she's wonderful. Okay, good. I'll have to go back and pick up some of those when I have some more time. Yes, start with her memoir. It's fantastic. Well, I am moving into May. Um, However... I realize that the titles for May that I've chosen, they all publish at the end of May. So you'll have to wait a little bit, but each one of these is well worth the wait. The first one is The Celebrants by one of my favorite authors, Stephen Rowley. Stephen is the author of Lily and the Octopus, the editor, the gunkle, and now he's here with The Celebrants. I find that Stephen's writing just keeps getting richer and more evolved. 
His characters become richer. This story, it's a big chill for our times, uh, celebrating decades-long friendships and promises. And it's about a group of friends that gather on a regular basis, and they made this pact that at any point, one of them could call for their own funeral. Um, One of their friends dies early on, right after graduation, and they agree that rather than let somebody languish anytime somebody's going through a crisis or a difficult time, they can call for a funeral and everybody's got to drop what they're doing and come and spend a weekend at this home uh, where they can build each other up. And when they get there for this reunion, they're just not the same as they were in, in the other ones. There are things going on underneath the surface that are causing some tensions. And they come to find out that one of them has been carrying a secret for a long time. So really well done, beautiful writing, really a great testament to those long-term friendships where, you know, you you might lose a little bit of touch, but uh, these people you carry with you, no matter how often you see them, it is, I, I feel like one of Stephen's best books, he just gets better and better. I agree. I just love Stephen Raleigh's writing. And this one, oh, went straight to my heart. Fell in love with his characters. Couldn't wait to see what happened to them. And I love the idea of having a living funeral to build up your friends that you love. Me too. I thought it was fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to interviewing him. He's so engaging and entertaining. And I love his books as well. This is another June release, The Brightest Star by Gail Sukiyami. Again, she's another one of the authors I had the pleasure of dining with at the convention. And this novel is historical fiction about Anna Mae Wong. She is a Hollywood legend who many people may not know. I was familiar with her name, but I certainly did not know her whole history. This is the actress that defied all the norms of Hollywood and was the one of the first major Asian actresses. This is a look at her from her childhood as the daughter of immigrants. And she is fascinated with the movies and saves up all of her money so she can attend films and is desperate to get into them. So she works her way into being an extra. Yellow face was a completely normal thing. They would take... Caucasian actors and actresses and make them look Asian and not give the leading roles to actual Asian actors and actresses to play these parts. So Anna May actually fights and wins to get these lead roles. She has to expect accept some dodgy parts occasionally, but she fights for what she wants in Hollywood. And the brightest star fleshes out her story and really beautifully reimagines the life of this first Asian American star. Um, whose legacy endures, and she broke so many barriers in what was a very white Hollywood at the time. And so The Brightest Star by Gail Tsukiyama is a beautiful biography, historical fiction about a groundbreaking actress, Anna Mae Wong, and she deserves to have a bright star. And this one, The Brightest Star, does her justice. And it's just got to be a new record for the number of books that you've read that I have not yet read. I'm not even sure I have that one. 
So it looks like one that I'm going to have to request from the publisher. By all means, get in touch with HarperCollins and get a copy of The Brightest Star. You'll be very pleased. You posted about it at some point, and so I downloaded it from NetGalley, and it's definitely high on my list. I love anything set in old Hollywood, and particularly these type of stories. So I cannot wait to read it. It has another great cover. I feel like I keep saying great cover, great cover, but there are so many beautiful covers coming out, and that one definitely has a good one. It does. Very eye-catching, and it's another book that kind of sent me on a search on Google to find out more about Anime Wong. And there really isn't a huge history about her. So Gail Tsukiyama does a great job of fleshing her out and bringing some of her history to light. Amazing. For another first, this next book was actually written by the husband of Stephen Rowley. And these two books are publishing on the same day. I don't know that that's ever happened where two spouses are publishing books on the same day. This is Big Gay Wedding by Byron Lane. I fell in love with Byron and his writing with his book, A Star is Bored, which was uh, loosely based and inspired by Byron's time working as the personal assistant to Carrie Fisher. So I was really excited to see what Byron was going to do next. And Big Gay Wedding is perfect for anyone who loves Schitt's Creek, which I absolutely do. It is hilarious. It is tender. It is sweet and wonderful. It is a mother-son story. Two grooms, one mother of a problem. Barnett Durang has a secret. Not that secret. His widowed mother has long known he's gay. The secret is he's getting married at his mother's farm. In their small Louisiana town, she just doesn't know it yet. This book is small town fun. It really is. Um, it has a, a Schitt's Creek feel to it, but with these wonderfully written and dynamic characters, it is a book that I held up to my heart when I was done because I, I just loved it and I loved his characters so much. And I think readers are going to find it just an absolutely wonderful and charming story. I agree with you, Mary. Byron is a master at creating these characters you just want to wrap your arms around and hug. It's a charming, charming novel. And you really feel good by the end of it. Yes. That is so funny that their books are coming out on the exact same day. I love it. I'm going to stick to June, and I have another new novel by a French author named Clemence Michelon. It's called The Quiet Tenant. And you may think you've had your fill of captive women's stories after reading Room, but I promise you The Quiet Tenant is a whole new take on this phenomenon. If you ever watched The Killing on one of the streaming services, it was about an Irish serial killer. This is similar in that it takes you into the mind of the serial killer who presents himself as this hardworking family man. He's been widowed. He's very beloved in his small town in upstate New York, and he's got a daughter. But what the town does not know about him that the reader does is that he also has this dark secret and that he's been keeping this young woman captive in a shed on his property for years. And when his wife dies, his in-laws force him out of their home. And he does not want to give up this woman that he has renamed Rachel. 
So he brings her along as a family friend and says she needs a place to stay and that he's renting her this room. Well, Rachel has become a captive, but she is not broken. She's a fighter and she's a survivor. And she realizes that she needs to save not only herself, but his daughter, Cecilia. And so as they forge new routines in this home now where she's finally out of the shed, he's going about his day in the town with the mask of being this fine, upstanding citizen. But of course, as the readers, we see what's happening at home. This is an intense psychological drama, and it's a really great thriller, exciting. It's got a smart study of trauma and survival, but what I really, really liked about it is that the woman who's the captive, Rachel, is phenomenal. She's strong, she's brave, and she's not sitting back waiting for somebody to save her. She is saving herself. The other unique aspect of this novel is that you get to hear the voices of the other women that he has killed. And it's so nice for them to be empowered that way and not just these nameless victims knowing that he's a serial killer, but the focus is on the killer. This time, it takes you into the orbit of the people who have been killed and gives them a voice and the recognition. And I think this is going to be on the bestseller list when it comes out. Again, it's called The Quiet Tenant. It's by Clemens Michelon. It's coming out from Knopf, which surprised me because they're known for kind of literary fiction. And this is a thriller, but it's definitely got the literary chops to be a Knopf publication. And I think people are going to be surprised and stunned and do not be surprised when you see it on the bestseller list in June. I found myself sitting in complete discomfort for this entire book. It is so immersive and um, it had shades of notes from an execution, which also is kind of told from the women's point of view. And it, it takes the focus off, you know, the killer himself. I could not put this one down except now and then I forced myself to, so I could get up and kind of walk it off a little bit because I really felt all of the, the, Oh, all of the feelings of this book. It was phenomenal. I just read it in one overwhelming sitting on an airplane. And so I was in that story. I was with that character, completely immersed. And what an experience. You both posted about this one a while ago, raving about it. And so I had added it to my list. I was a little unsure if it was going to be too dark for me. But then a whole new wave of people have been posting about it recently. So I'm going to definitely try it out because it sounds really, really good. Like it's an immersive, but somewhat uncomfortable read at times. It is. It'll take you to the dark side, but you're going to walk through it. I hope so. <laughs> okay. So my next book is another end of May release. It is historical fiction and it is an instant bestseller. It is cinematic. I, I can't believe this won't be made into a movie. And it is called Good Night, Irene from Luis Alberto Uria. It is historical fiction set in World War II. Again, I thought I had read everything I needed to read from that time period. I was wrong. I also wasn't sure that I wanted to read a book set from a woman's perspective that was written by a man. I was wrong again. This book was inspired by Luis's mother's experience in World War II. 
as a donut dolly. Now, I was unaware that the Red Cross had recruited all of these young women and retrofitted these army vehicles and turned them into donut and coffee making and serving vehicles and then brought these young women in to go to the front lines and prepare donuts and coffee for the troops that were fighting there. Absolutely incredible. Luis's own mother was at one point behind enemy lines at the Battle of the Bulge as a donut dolly. This book is so richly written. It is a story of friendship between these two women that are these donut dollies. The backstories of these women are so well-developed. Their their friendship with each other is so beautifully written. And it brought the war to me from a woman's point of view, you know, but not a woman who's off in the sidelines, a woman who's there in the literal trenches at the front lines of World War II and what it must have been like for these women who were there to serve donuts and coffee to the troops. It is amazing. It is one of my favorite historical fiction novels of the past few years. And I truly believe it is going to be a well-deserved blockbuster bestseller. It is Good Night, Irene, Luis Alberto Urea. I hadn't read that one, but I certainly picked up a galley at the conference after your recommendation. You've definitely sold me on it. I had kind of thought the same thing that one, I didn't really need another World War II story. And two, I wasn't sure about a man writing a woman's perspective, but you've totally sold me. I had no idea there were donut dollies. And that sounds like a very compelling story. It's a must read. Great. Well, my next book is also a June release. This one's called The Rachel Incident by Caroline O'Donohue, an Irish writer. And if you are a fan of Sally Rooney and her normal people, this is a book you're going to want to make room on your bookshelf for. She also writes about young Irish lovable chaotic characters. In this one, Rachel and James are 20-somethings who are navigating their new adulthood and trying to figure out their careers, their friends, their lovers, their futures, and they're making a very bold mess of it. Um, The Rachel incident, it's funny, yet it's wise. I think the target demographic is going to be 20 and 30-year-olds, but I'm certainly a lot older than that, and I really enjoyed it. Um, It's got a lot of humor in it. It talks about, you know, what do you do with an English degree? (laughs) Well, Rachel's working in a bookstore and she meets James and they become fast friends. And when hosting an author at an author event, she ends up falling in love with him. He's a married professor. And despite the fact that James insists that he's heterosexual, things happen with this professor and it all gets extremely complicated. Great characters, great character development, fascinating story. Like I said, it's got a lot of drama, but it's shot through with a lot of really great humor. I wouldn't be surprised to see this one become a film or a streaming series as well, because Caroline O'Donohue does a great job with this story of young people making their way into adulthood and all the possible pitfalls of that. So it's called The Rachel Incident by Caroline O'Donohue, and that will be available in June. I adored this book. I Everything you said, I completely agree with. It is just wonderful. 
I feel like I have started seeing it everywhere. So I do think it's one of those that's going to be all over the place and people will be raving about it. Well, I am finally moving into June with these next two books. And this one, I just adore and love. This is another flawed character. The title is Amazing Grace Adams. It's by Fran Littlewood. And we start the book with the scene where Grace Adams, she gave birth to her daughter, blinked, and now suddenly she's 45, the unhappiest age you can be, according to most news headlines. Stuck in traffic, she has finally had enough. To the astonishment of everyone, she gets out of her car and simply walks away. She sets off across London, armed with a themed cake, to win back her estranged teenage daughter on her 16th birthday, because today is the day she'll remind her daughter that no matter how far we fall, we can get back up again. Because Grace used to be amazing. Her husband thought so, her daughter thought so, even Grace thought so, but everyone seems to have forgotten. This book had me howling with laughter and then howling with fury because it so perfectly depicts motherhood in all of its messy, blame me, you know, I I must be at fault no matter what is going wrong in anybody else's world, but with a beautiful bit of redemption at the end. It's simply marvelous. Amazing Grace Adams by Fran Littlewood. I agree. That one was great fun. Wonderful character. I feel like that is one that people are starting to chat about as well. I'm going to offer you another June release. This one's called The Road to Dalton by Shannon Bowring. I had to pick it up because I love the cover image so much. It's published by Europa, which typically publishes European fiction. Um, however, this is a book that is set in Dalton, Maine. And Dalton, Maine is a small town that on the surface kind of looks like you know our town, but Boiling beneath that is all the excitement and intrigue of Peyton Place. <laughs> I'm dating myself with that reference, but um, all, you know, the small town people who think they know each other and everything about each other on the surface, but of course, no one really knows each other and that people have lots of secrets hidden beneath the mask that they show the public. This one is filled with a lot of poignance, humor, great characters. I just thought this was a beautifully rendered novel with a really big heart. She's a debut novelist, but it's a really a wise little book. In this one, you know, the small town doctor, he knows a lot of what's going on about the wife who's abused, the young woman who's dealing with postpartum depression, friends who are friends on the surface, but more than that in private. And it offers a lot of understanding about what it means to be part of a small town, um, what it part means to be all connected in a small community, and how you all help each other, hurt each other, and manage to go on. I just thought it was a small, beautifully rendered novel. And again, it's called The Road to Dalton by Shannon Bowring. I think it's going to provide a lot of meaty discussion material for book clubs um, simply because the characters are so exquisitely done. Another one to add to my list. Exactly. I'm not familiar with that one at all. I probably wouldn't have been had I not seen it at the conference and picked it up, like they said, because the cover image was so pretty. Love it. Got it. Now, Mary, are you on your last one? 
I am. This is my final title. It's another June release. And I found this book just incredibly intriguing. It is called Everything's Fine by Cecilia Rabbis. And this is a phenomenal debut that had me thinking and pondering long after I finished reading it. It's about Jess, a Black woman who lands a job as an analyst at Goldman Sachs, and she becomes upset to learn that she's been teamed up with Josh, her preppy white conservative sparring partner from college. Josh loves to play devil's advocate and argue every little bit of news or headline or anything that Jess has to say. But when she finds herself as the sole Black woman on the floor, she and Josh form an unlikely friendship because he starts, he, he looks like he's got her back. And before they know what happens, they've become romantically entangled. They are the absolute picture-perfect opposites attract in every single way because personality-wise, they could not be more different. And it becomes less of a, a novel of will they, but more should they, as it becomes clear that Josh has some very ingrained biases, and he'll make little comments uh, that are racially motivated that are enough to leave Jess feeling very disquieted. And yet, on the surface, the the relationship is great. So she's really forced to grapple with, you know, and as, as this country kind of implodes on itself, politically, she's forced to grapple with how much can she overlook of his and still maintain their relationship the way it is. So this is a perfect book club book. So very much to discuss here. Great buddy read because you do, you finish this book and you just want to talk to somebody about it and get their take on it. It is Everything's Fine by Cecilia Rabbis and just a, an electrifying debut novel. I have not read that one. So that's another one to add to my list. Thank you very much, Mary. I'm completely overwhelmed. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> we all are going to be like, oh, we got a lot more reading to do. I've seen her speak a couple of times online about that book, and I have a copy of it. I felt really bad for her because I got on Goodreads at one point just to look it up. And there are all of these one-star reviews before the galleys ever went out with people complaining about the subject matter. And I thought, come on, you cannot go on and read a book when you haven't even read it. It just drives me insane. That's awful. It is awful. <laughs> so people need to ignore the Goodreads stuff and read the book if it sounds good to them, because it's not fair to do that to an author. I agree. These people, this this goes back to the cancel culture. They don't like the idea being discussed. It makes them uncomfortable. So therefore, nobody should read it because God forbid you're reading a book that makes me uncomfortable. Um, this did make me feel uncomfortable. It made me look at myself, made me look at my own biases, made me, it continues to make me stop and pause for a moment before I chime in on certain things as to whether or not, you know, I really have the authority to do, to do so. And that to me 
you know, that's the whole process of unlearning the racism and the bias that I was brought up with that's ingrained that, you know, maybe isn't even blatantly obvious within me and, and really learning to think a little more deeply. So yes, I hope everybody completely ignores those one-star reviews and instead looks at those as all the more reason in this world of book banning that we need to be bringing these ideas to the forefront. I agree with that completely. And it was people on both sides, people unhappy with a variety of issues. So it wasn't like it was one particular group. It was all sorts of different people saying, well, if he's racist, she shouldn't have anything to do with him. And then, you know, vice versa. It was the the whole thing. I was like, just either don't comment or read the book and at least have some knowledge before you're out there just slamming a book you don't know much about at all. Exactly. You have to read it in order to have a really valuable opinion about it. It reminded me a little bit of American Dirt when all those people were carrying on about it, half of who had never read it. Exactly. Well, my last novel is The Glass Chateau by Stephen Kiernan. I have to admit, I've been a longtime fan ever since his earlier work, The Curiosity, The Baker's Secret, Universe of Two. And Cindy, you mentioned that you thought you'd had enough of World War II. Well, you really haven't. You need to read The Glass Chateau. Every time I think I must have absolutely covered every aspect of World War II by now, some writer comes up with a new piece of World War II history that I have to read. And this is definitely the case with The Glass Chateau. This is set immediately after the end of World War II, and it's inspired by the life of the artist Marc Chagall. In this one, there are people you know, who are all displaced. They're wandering around Europe trying to get home. They're starving. Things are not in place to help people yet. And so our main character, Asher, is coming along. He's exhausted. He's hungry. He's dirty. He just is wanting someone to take him in and give him a meal. And he comes across this chateau. And there he finds an amazing sanctuary. And what they are doing at this place is turning sand into glass and trying to replace some of the windows for the bombed out cathedrals of France. And there are a complete odd menagerie of characters there who are traumatized in different ways and who have come to hide, to be fed, to work, to find shelter. And as the secrets of the Chateau's residents become known to to the reader and to each other, they draw conflict from each other, challenges, and support. And as Asher, our main character, explores his talents for glasswork, he finds a way that helps him to recover and also to find beauty in a world that has become very dark in post-World War II Europe. So The Glass Chateau comes out in June by Stephen Kiernan. And like I said, if you think you've read everything about World War II, you have not. Please pick up a copy, The Glass Chateau. Another one to add to my list. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) This one was already on my list because I, too, am a huge fan of Stephen Kiernan. I love The Baker's Secret. That is one of my favorite World War II stories. And Universe of Two was also really good. And I'm a huge Marc Chagall fan. There's a big chapel here on one of the university campuses in Houston. And so I've always been a fan of his. So double whammy with Stephen Kiernan and Marc Chagall. This one's very high on my list. You will be very pleased. Great. Well, we made it. And now we all have very long lists, which are added to our already very long list. 
But I'm so happy that you both joined me again. Thank you so much, both Mary and Pamela, for coming to talk books with me. It was absolutely a pleasure to be here bringing you these exciting titles. I I think spring has been a phenomenal season for great books this year, and I hope everybody hears something that they will want to pick up and read. I thank you as well for inviting us back. We always have such a good time talking and learning from each other. And this year, 2023, is providing a bumper crop of great reading. And so I'm happy to help find new titles for your listeners and get new titles myself. Thank you very much. Science, science, science. Science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. I hope you'll tune in next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.